0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 115. I want to share a message that's been on my heart for quite a while. I've been wrestling kind of through the weekend, just asking the Lord if, if this weekend is the weekend for this, and it just felt like it was. So I'm going to share this, Psalm uh, Psalm 115 a message that's been on my heart called Unending Praise. I believe praise, which I, for, for the sake of this passage and my message this morning, you can see it synonymous with worship. Praise and worship. This expression from our hearts, declaring who the Lord is, declaring his worth, declaring his praiseworthiness. Worship or praise is our calling as the children of God it is also our privilege i also though believe that worship or praise is an indicator of how we truly see things you know as jesus said it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks so if that's true this is in line with that praise is an indication of what's truly happening in our hearts so the life circumstances and the grind of monday through saturday is a constant invitation to release what we know to be true because of the work of Jesus in our lives, because of the person of Jesus, the ultimate revelation of God. In Jesus, we're given this rich invitation to praise in any circumstance. Praise is not contingent on how we feel or if things are going right or if if not, we're given this invitation because of Jesus and the new life that we have in Him to praise, regardless of our circumstances. So, I want to propose that the, propose to you this morning that praise is this opportunity to be this like cali- calibration standard for our lives in Jesus. Praise. One of my heroes of of history, of Christian history, is a man by the name of C.T. Studd. I've spoken about him many times. He's a former collegiate athlete in England that gave up his career in in sports and went and served the Lord in China for five years and then gave the rest of his life serving the the poor and the lost in Africa. But instead of C.T. Studd's last words, of which he died over kind of a protracted amount of time in Africa, um, a number of weeks. It was, it was um, a long drawn out kind of slow decline but repeated on his lips were these words hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and the witnesses there by his side he didn't his wife had passed at that point. A couple of his kids had passed at that point but the witnesses at his bedside said he just kept whispering those words hallelujah. Hallelujah is praise to the Lord. Praise to Yahweh. Praise God. That praise was a summary of his life. In fact, early on in his ministry, as he was receiving this call from the Lord to go to Africa and to to give their lives, he wrote to his wife. He said, To human reason, this sounds ridiculous, but faith laughs at impossibilities and, and cries, It shall be done. He went on to say, the true answer to our circumstances will always be great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he then went on to to live that out. Life as an expression of praise constantly. A life lived in praise to the Lord. That's what he's worthy of. Regardless of the cards that are handed to you. Regardless of the circumstances that come your way. So before we look at Psalm 115, just look at the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses four through six. I just want to kind of set the stage in this way because this is the Lord's calling for us as the people of God. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So one of the, the enemy's chief ways of Deterring people from turning to the Lord is to blind their eyes so that they don't see God rightly. So they don't see Jesus rightly. It's like there's this fog and everything gets twisted. Everything gets distorted as to what God is truly like because we all know if you've encountered Christ, if you just catch a glimpse of him, it wrecks you forever. There's nothing like it. So that's the enemy's chief way of toying with us is to, to fog our vision to blind our eyes from truly seeing the light of God. And all we, we can handle is the revelation that we've received in the person of Jesus. Goes on to say, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So he was talking about the battle plan of the apostles, the the strategic plan of the apostles was not to point to themselves, but was to point to Christ, to point to the Lord. Therefore, I would propose to us, this is our plan as a church, to be a people that praise the Lord. So as, as guests come around us, as those that don't know Christ come near They don't even so much see us, but rather they see Jesus. I would actually tell you that boldly, that's unapologetically, that's why we go into worship the way we worship as a church family. It's something we shifted probably two years ago. We do a call to worship at the beginning of our gatherings because we don't want these gatherings to be so much about our program or any person. We want very quickly, unapologetically to point people to Jesus, So we're calling people into this place to say, let's look at him, let's look at him. He's so beautiful, he's so worthy of our lives. That's the call to worship. That's the way to win the lost for Christ, is to point them to the Lord. And that was the plan of the apostles. We don't proclaim ourselves, but rather Jesus Christ as Lord. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, for that God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a message for another time that I will go into in the weeks to come, but the plan of God is to reveal what he is like through a people. And those people will be ones who do not proclaim themselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We do become like this bridge to a world that doesn't, know the Lord or misunderstands him, hasn't seen him rightly. But as they draw near to us, they don't find out so much about us right away as much as they just see the Lord because we're all pointing at him, we're all looking at him. And they catch a glimpse of him and it changes their lives forever. Okay, so Psalm 115. Psalm 115 is is part of a a group of psalms called the Hallel. And the Hallel Psalms, these these psalms from Psalm 113 to Psalm uh, 118 were psalms that the uh, the Jews would use during the, the Feast of Passover, the Festival of Passover, that week of Passover, commemorating remembering the work of the Lord in their midst to deliver them out of Egypt. So you can just picture, this is a psalm on their lips reminding their souls, their soul as a nation, of the delivering power of God. His ability to deliver them out of, out of Egypt but I would even go beyond that. Don't just picture Israel with, it on, with uh, this psalm on their lips. But picture your Lord and Savior, Jesus, on the, the week of his crucifixion, with this psalm on his lips. This would have been a psalm that they, that they read during the Passover meal. So think of the Lord's Supper. This would be a psalm that they would have sang, the disciples would have sang on the night Jesus was betrayed by Judas, the, the night of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. This is what it says. Psalm 115, we'll, we'll read all 18 verses, but we'll kind of stop at each stanza. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. It's not to us, it's to the Lord be the glory. It's not about what we can do, it's about what he can do. I found even in the midst of like testimonies, the most of the significant things that happen in our midst are the unplanned things. I feel like what the Lord's called us to do, like just in partnership with him, is like provide the bones or the structure of something, but then he brings the substance. He brings the actual substantial transformative power in a people, and that was the testimony of Israel. There was a partnership. Israel needed to create the environment for God to dwell in their midst, but God dwelling in their midst was always their distinctive. Without that, they were nothing. They were a, a, a foolish, putrid people without the Lord in their midst. It's not to, to us, but to the, the name of the Lord. And this was spoken at a time pre-Christ, right? How greater this psalm is in the moment in history in which you and I live, when the name has been revealed to us. The name above all names. God had often revealed himself to Israel through his names. And he did it again through his son, this one whom has been given this name, Jesus. The name has been revealed, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is that name that's above all names. Please don't misunderstand. Names are not some code word. But rather, names, especially for Israel and Near Eastern culture, they spoke to, to nature and character and the essence of a person. So we have the, the revelation of God in the person of Jesus. And it's to him who's worthy of all glory. He is the definition of beauty. Glory can be translated beauty, like weighty, substantial beauty. That's how you can think of that word glory. He is worthy of all of that. Let's continue to read verse two. So why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That is what the world is asking, isn't it? hey, where, where is God? It's really interesting, that the tide that's, that's happening right now in our current generation, less and less agnostics or atheists and many more just spiritual people, there's this spiritual mindedness that's brewing in a generation saying, where is God? Where is he? Like, there's this sense that they know there is something divine. There is one who is real, who is God, but they haven't seen him, they haven't known him. I believe that for many, if they experienced the presence of the Lord, if they experienced his nearness, they would come to him. Therefore, this becomes the primary battle call of the church, the primary focus of the church. The battle, the battle call of the church is that upside down way of not taking up arms, but rather lifting up our arms in praise and worship to the Lord, and in adoration and worship, And as he comes into our midst, we take ground for the kingdom. It's this place of surrender. It doesn't make sense, but look even throughout the pattern in Israel. there's that upside down way in which the Lord moved his kingdom forward. I just ask us, if if this is your church home, what if our church started putting more focus on being attractive to God rather than being attractive to people? Just what if? What if our hearts just burn for him to come into our midst and be with us? I promise you, lives will be changed. A city will be impacted as his presence comes into a place. Verse four, it says their idols are silver and gold. The work of human hands. Nothing has changed, right? There's nothing new under the sun. still today the idols of our age are are still of of silver and gold. They're made of human hands. They, They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. I've spoken often, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about this principle repeated through scripture of worship being the conduit for transformation, both for the good and for the bad. This is the Lord's actual plan for transformation in your life to look like Him, is, to, is through worship. But so it is in the negative. As we give ourselves in worship to anything else, we become like those things we worship. That's why He goes at length to repeat those, those themes. Both the maker of the idols, they begin, they begin to look like the idols themselves. They can't speak, their eyes can't see, their ears can't hear. There is this impersonal aspect to other worship. When we worship other things, it dehumanizes us. We begin to resemble the very things that we give ourselves to. We become these barbaric, savage others. True worship, like worship that we were made for, is worship of something higher. See, other worship worships things that are lower, things that we have created. That's not worship because it's down here, it's below us. True worship lifts us higher, looks, makes us look higher above us to the Creator. Anything in this world is lower than us because we we created it or we manufactured it or the Lord made it so that we would have dominion over it. It's meant to serve us in a sense. So there's only one God of whom we answer to and ultimately we're subjected to and he alone is worthy of our worship. So there's this great exchange that happens in worship. We love God through adoration, through worship, through praise, and we begin to look like Him. We begin to look like Jesus, that passage in 2 Corinthians that I read earlier. As we look at the face of Jesus, we begin to look like Him. He being the image of God, we being made in the image of God. Let's look at verse verse nine here. It says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. And trust is so synonymous with with worship. We'll get to that here in a moment. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. He talks about these people who are in covenant with the Lord, that's Israel. He talks about these people who are actually called to like Levitical worship, those are the, the priests of Aaron, the house of Aaron, but he, but he opens up the, the floodgates to all those who are God-fears. People who can trust the Lord for three different reasons. These people who've had a, a revelation of the covenant that God has with them, these people who've actually been invited into the, the, the duty of worship, And then those who just have an acknowledgement of the reality of God. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So at the the core of worship is trust. You may say, I don't don't worship idols. I don't have anything that I praise or, or love as much as the Lord. But at the heart level, the question really is, what do we put our trust in? Like when, when circumstances really squeeze us, like when things really get desperate, really get de- difficult, what is it that comes out and what is it that we run to as our refuge, as our, as our shelter, as our, as our shield? Pastor Tony and I were just this week, we were having a conversation about like the dynamics of finances. And me and my wife have had these conversations as of late as well. Just because of the economic times in which we live. Like everyone's feeling, right? Like the, the tightness in their budgets. And it's one thing to, to trust the Lord in moments of crisis. So I, we've, we've walked that path before. Like we've taken great leaps of faith in prior years. But it's another thing to trust Him day in and day out to trust him day after day, not just for the one-time leap of faith, but in the day-to-day, Lord being the Lord of our finances, the Lord being the Lord of our house, the Lord being the Lord of everything that we own, like fully allowing our allegiance and our trust to be for him and him alone, regardless of our bank account or our net worth, to trust him in the day in and the day out. And I would say, I mean, at times, that can be very difficult to do even in, in seasons of plenty. Over time, our hearts get, get kind of anesthetized to our need for the Lord in seasons of plenty. And in times of lack, there can be this immature running to the Lord, you know, running to the Lord is our, our, our shield and our fortress. Then that wanes when, thing, when things get easier, Right? That's why I'm saying the day-to-day can almost be one of the hardest places to just continue to live in that place of trust. Whether I have a lot or a little, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you, King Jesus. So at the, the core, or at the core of, of worship or praise really is trust. If it's going to be genuine, if it's truly gonna be an expression of our hearts, there are these three groups of people that the psalmist calls out Israel, who had a special covenant relationship with God. They were a special people. There were other nations, but Israel was special. God had revealed Himself to Israel as a covenant keeping God. And there was there was the house of Aaron, like the the priestly tribe of, of the Levites. They were also special. They got to go into the, the holy place. The high priest got to go in the holy of holies. They got to come into the, the, the presence of God, the God of the universe, the God who created the cosmos. They got to go into the presence of God. Talk about a special people. He's calling them to trust in the Lord. And then he says to those who fear the Lord, the God-fearers, regardless of whether or not you're an Israelite or whether you're, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, trust in the Lord. I believe this, these few, three verses, they mean all the more for us now as a new covenant people because we can check all three of those boxes. We are a new covenant people. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus as a covenant-keeping God. He said, eat this bread, drink this cup. This is a new covenant of my blood. We enter into a covenant with God and now we can rest assured, we can have confidence that he keeps his word, that he truly is king, that he gives us the seal of that, that covenant promise through Holy Spirit and that he's coming again, that his kingdom has been, is being revealed on the earth and he's gonna come and bring an even greater revelation of his kingdom in the age to come. We're covenant people, so it's beckoning us, it's inviting us to trust the Lord as our shield, as our help, as worshipers. We're all called to be worshipers. The book of Revelation calls us a tribe of worshipers, a a kingdom of priests to the Lord. So this special cohort within Israel has been opened up to you and I to come into the holy place to be worshipers of the Lord. So the worshipers of the Lord in this age, in this new covenant age, it's not just for the, the amazing musicians like Pastor Scott and the other musicians that some, sometimes we can, we can treat worship and praise like that. It's like, yeah, those are for the, the really musically inclined, you know, those that have a great singing voice. Everyone else, we're just kind of spectators. Like We have done away with that a long time ago, church. We've done away with karaoke Christianity. Like that's not, it's not, it's not what this is. This isn't, it's not a concert. No, we come as a worshiping people, a tribe of worshipers, a tribe of Jesus people, worshiping the Lord from our hearts, passionately from our hearts as the overflow of expression of trust to the Lord from the core of our being. It's all right if it doesn't always sound that great. It's fine. It really is fine. It's not so much about the music, but it is also. Music is a beautiful conduit that's, I would say, the age-old way. Music is not so much a, you know, a, a new invention. Some people kind of um, get down on the emphasis of musical worship in, our, in the modern church. And there can be a false emphasis of music in the, ch- in the church where the music becomes the focus. But I believe there's this age-old reality of the Lord using music and the desire of our souls to express love for the Lord through music that goes back for millennia. And so more than anything, this musical expression of worship and praise is an expression from the core of our being that we trust you, Lord. I'm gonna open up my mouth, I'm gonna bare my soul in the presence of family declaring my trust in you, King Jesus. Verse 12, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and great. The Lord is the blessing, he is the reward, he's remembered us. It's the same pattern the psalmist used in just the prior verses. Covenant people, worshipers, and god fears As they trust him, as they step into their life, as people that praise, as people that worship, as people that trust the Lord from the core of their being, blessing follows that trust. The blessing and the favor of God follows a life that trusts in him. You may be asking, okay, well, so what is, the, what is the blessing of God, Drew? What does that mean? Is that just mean I'm gonna be rich and I'm just gonna, everything's gonna be easy for me? No, we look to the life of Jesus for what a truly blessed life is. We look to him, we look to the promises that were unleashed upon us through the cross and what we see in Jesus is this blessed, this blessed life is one who always had enough because his confidence was in the Father. His lot was not worry. His lot, his lot was not anxiety because his eyes were on the Father and he knew his Father took good care of him. So there's constant confidence that there would be enough. And that was made, that. Line of blessing was made wide open for you and for me through the cross. We're adopted into the family of God, so now we have access to the same Father. We look to Jesus. We see His example. He was so dead set with His eyes on the Father that He didn't worry about where He's going to lay His head that night, if He'd have enough food, who was for Him, who was against Him. His eyes were on the Father, and you and I have been given access into that same family. So now we can we can look, we can lock eyes with the Father. He is our supplier. He is enough. What else does the blessing of God look like? Well, Jesus made it very clear through his ministry that sickness was from the enemy. And he he made that door wide open to us as well through his cross. Because he said it's by his stripes that he is healed through the prophet Isaiah. Everywhere Jesus encountered sickness, he treated it as something from the enemy, never as a blessing. There's this wonky theology going on right now in the church where some people attribute sickness to God. Like that—that's not in—that's not in the Bible. Jesus always attributes sickness to the enemy, always, hundred percent of the time. And then he paid for healing through the cross, so we can look to him. I'm not saying I'm not trying to oversimplify it. To say that every time we pray for someone, someone everyone gets healed, that's, I'm not saying that. We can be honest in authentic, authentic community and look around, but I'm not gonna be dictated by what I see with my eyes. My eyes are gonna be fixed on what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. I'm gonna look to the testimony and the example of Jesus, and that's going to be the path in which I follow. What else does blessing look like? Well, Jesus had right standing with the Father. And we're made right through his sacrifice. So all these blessings follow those who trust in the Lord. They can have confidence. They can have favor and protection. They can have right standing with the Father. So it follows those that trust in the Lord, these ones who worship and praise him. Verse 14, it kind of goes in that vein as well. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. May the Lord give you an increase in that blessing. As you go down this path and live a life of praise, a life of worship, the Lord will actually give you an increased capacity to walk in greater blessing. That's what we see in the example of Jesus as well. He's one who grew in wisdom and stature in the eyes of man, and in the eyes of God and man. I believe much of this increase in blessing upon our lives is actually just an increase in our understanding of recognizing the blessing of the Lord and an increase in our capacity to receive it. I believe if the blessing of the Lord was poured out on our life too much, it would just crush us, it would destroy us, as I was talking about earlier. You know, when when we have plenty, sometimes it's worse for our soul than when we have less. So many times, like we want the blessing of God, but we're not ready to really handle it. Please, that, that word blessing has been so misconstrued in our, in our modern age to equate to finances and, and weird, wonky stuff like that. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the blessing of the favor of the Lord, of walking in, in um, confident trust in his ways, to be unwavering, to be uh, unshaken. The word blessed means happy. To be content, to walk with this joy, joy in the salvation of the Lord upon our life. Well, that increases as we trust in the Lord over a lifetime, because we increase in understanding of the blessing of the Lord, increase in our capacity to receive blessing. I was actually just telling my kids last night, um, the story of when I visited Rwanda, and one of the you know, I believe a, uh, an eye-opening moment in my young life, you know, as a 21-year-old, I went to Rwanda and we visited an orphanage. We were drilling water wells all over the countryside and outside of the capital of, of Rwanda. But one day we, we went to this urban uh, orphanage and this orphanage was essentially just a, you know, a concrete, um, just, just a bare bones concrete structure. There's no fluff, no carpet, no decor. It was just a big concrete um, open air structure. But this place was chock full of kids who had been rescued off the streets. You know, instead of being trafficked into, into, into the human trafficking world or um, being thrown into factories to work, these kids were saved off the streets and here they were full of the love of the Lord. Just not what you would expect. Not what you would expect to encounter at an orphanage for street kids in urban Kigali. But rather their hearts were beaming with love for the Lord and the thing that was on their lips because it changed me forever. The thing that was on their lips was praise to the Lord. In fact, we danced around that orphanage with them. We praised the Lord with them and it forever changed me. The blessing of the Lord is not contingent on our circumstances. It's contingent on what we're looking at, on what our vision is fixed on. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, to the one who has, even more will be given. To the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I always think that second part's really fascinating. Even the one who has not, what he has will be taken away. I thought they didn't have anything. Actually, they just didn't recognize what they had. So even what they they're missing out on realizing they have will be taken away from them. I'm gonna ask Scott to come forward just to the keys. Let's finish this off, verse 16. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore praise the Lord. The greatest expression that we are living beings, that we are truly alive is praise, is worship. He said the the dead cannot praise. It's like when we we are tempted to like hunker down and just in the fetal position and suck our thumb, which is sometimes our reaction to the difficulties of life. We're neglecting this beautiful, beautiful, Invitation to truly be made alive in the Lord and to worship Him, regardless of what comes our way. The dead do not praise the Lord. When we worship Him, we come alive. Worship is our inheritance, it's our privilege. It is our privilege to look at the Lord in adoration. There's something about praise that connects us with our heavenly destiny. This is where this whole thing is headed, folks. This whole thing for kingdom come. That's why he says we will praise him forevermore. That's where this is headed. This is endless worship party. That's been the word on my in my mind so often because of the, I shared this a number of weeks ago, the, the dream that my, my daughter had. My daughter Lucy had a dream of her papa who recently passed this summer and And she asked her grandpa, you know, what's what's heaven like in the dream? He said, oh, Lucy, it's a party. Heaven is a party. You know why it's a party? Because everyone's looking at the king and he's that amazing, he's that good. Our hearts are undone with endless glory, the endless beauty of the Lord. So praise connects us with where we're headed. It connects us with our, our heavenly destiny very opposite of that is this life that reflects more death the dead do not praise the Lord they look much more like the the lifeless idols that they've given themselves to that their heart has been um, has given allegiance to rather the Lord has given us this beautiful invitation to come alive to recognize the life in him and then to increase in that that life-giving expression of praise and worship. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.